Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. It ain't the left side or the right side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fence Side here with Cat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Brian Cat NFL on Twitter. Paul is fanatic. That's with a PH. Fanatic underscore pick. The Dolphins are, I guess we could say, on a winning streak. They improved to two and seven on the year. We're a day late in recording this because I was actually at the game. And my five-game winning streak of being at a Dolphins game and them winning continues. Now, granted, my last one was in 2015, but, you know, we'll still take the streak as the Dolphins were 11-point underdogs in this contest. So, Paul, taking a look at at where the Dolphins are right now, and this is a stat that I've mentioned many times here over the last uh, day or two on Twitter is, when you talk about all this stuff with tanking and everything, and I, I understand some of that's justified, over the last 17 quarters of football, the Miami Dolphins are outscoring their opponents 90 to 88. I'll take you one better. Over the course of November, Miami's got two wins, New England's got zero. So, you know, uh, there's that better. fact. <laughs> no, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, you see a bunch of guys that are overachieving a little bit and really being coached well. And that gets me really excited, even if we're losing a little draft stock spot right at the moment, because if Brian Flores, Patrick Graham, et cetera, are doing this well with what, with basically a CFL roster today, imagine what they're going to do with some good free agents this offseason. Imagine what they're going to do when they have, you know, 14 draft picks walk in that door next year that are kind of hand-selected and not, you know, a bunch of cast-offs. Yeah, no, that's that's well said. And looking at this roster, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, you're like you said, Paul, it's a CFL-type roster in terms of talent, which makes it even more amazing that, that they're playing well. And with draft position, right now the Dolphins, if the season ended, would be picking fourth behind the Bengals, the Redskins, and the Giants because the Jets did win on Sunday, as did the Atlanta Falcons. So, I've always said that if the Dolphins are going to win, I want it to be worth it. If they're playing this well over this period of time and they're not not setting a culture specifically for winning, but a culture for playing good, sound, fundamental football, being the lowest, I believe they're they're still the lowest team in the NFL in penalties for the year, that's the type of, quote, culture 
that you want to set, not something that begins begins in the locker room, but something that is out there on the field overachieving. Right, and, and and the Dolphins basically, like we like we keep alluding to, have that CFL roster, or actually, as I, I noticed CK calling it the other day, XFL roster. I mean, the fact that they're still putting accountability out there to these players. I mean, I know Flores has the penalty wall where you, you create a mental mistake, you take a sprint, and, you know, not every pro team does that. I, I like what I see out of Flores and his staff as far as this type of stuff goes, though. And we're starting to see some of these players really step up in this game. What a huge game by Nick Needham at cornerback. I mean, we'll get to the defensive backs in a little bit, but pro football focus in terms of week 10 grades for for the defensive backs that played at least 50% of their snaps, Nick Needham was third last week at cornerback behind uh, two former pro bowlers, um, Marcus Peters, and I'm forgetting and I'm blanking on the other name here, but two very good cornerbacks were ahead of him. So it, he deserved every bit of that. And really having an appreciation for how much more well-coached this defense is when you're sitting up above and seeing having that all-22 look there in Indianapolis at the game. So let's take just a quick look at how the game went. The Dolphins got up 10 to nothing with just under two minutes left in the first half. Thanks to an 11 yard Ryan Fitzpatrick scramble for touchdown. The Colts finally got on the board halfway through the third quarter with a 25 yard Adam Vinatieri field goal. They made a 10 6 with another Vinatieri field goal at the end of the third quarter. On the first play of the fourth quarter, the Dolphins up 10 to 6. Ryan Fitzpatrick throws a bad interception. Colts on a short field put up their first touchdown of the game. Missed extra point by Adam Vinatieri makes it 12 to 10, and the Dolphins put two field goals on the board at the end of the game to make it 16 to 12 final. So certainly not a pretty game, but when you go into Indianapolis, a team that is five and four and very much in the thick of the playoffs right here, it, it didn't. It, you know, and, and then to come away from that game saying the Dolphins were leading for all of but a couple of minutes in the game, very, very gutsy performance. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, I think the penultimate moment in this one was when Ryan Fitzpatrick entered the concussion protocol four minutes after and lost his damn mind. You see Brian Flores losing his mind. And really, all you, there was so much emotion and heart that you saw from these players. And I love that you brought up Nick Needham. I, I know you remember, some of our listeners might remember, when we did our undrafted free agent show, Nick Needham was one of the guys that I remember talking about a great deal when he and a few others were there. And I remember talking about the fact that, surprisingly, I thought a starter could potentially come out of this bunch. So seeing Nick rise to the occasion was absolutely amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still want UConn's own Byron Jones in the offseason, but I think Nick Needham's a hell of a piece, especially with a, a, a defensive coordinator and head coach that like to go with, you know, five defensive back look a lot. Yeah, and Needham is a, a perfect example of that. And, yeah, we were high on him when he came out of college. But during the preseason, man, was he the one getting picked on game in and game out in practice and in games. And he was cut from the roster the Dolphins didn't bring him back in the practice squad, then just very recently put him on the practice squad and then promoted him quickly to the active roster. But since then, every time he's gotten on the field, that number 40 has played very, very well. So 
Paul, let's start out on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, obviously, the defense, uh, this was their game, but uh, on offense there, Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, not a great stat line, 21 for 33, 169 yards, no touchdowns, an interception. He also ran for a touchdown, and he had a couple of other runs too. In the first half, he was 17 for 24 for 122 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. And in the second half, got a little uglier, four for nine, 47 yards, and a really bad interception where he was pressured off the left side by uh, after after poor blocks by Jamarcus Webb and Michael Dieter. Forces a throw. Darius Leonard picks it off, but definitely something he shouldn't have thrown anyway. But we expect that one or two games, I think, out of Ryan Fitzpatrick. What I like is he has a good chemistry with Devontae Parker. He, when he, He's a very see-the-ball-get-the-ball type of quarterback. When he sees something, he gets it out. He sees that single coverage. Not a great stat line, and, and we know what to expect from Fitzpatrick at this point. So overall, I'm, I'm going to give him a C. I mean, I, I think the stat line says worse, and it probably would be lower if the Dolphins ended up losing that game in the final few minutes. No, I'm glad to hear you give him a C. I, I, I mean, it was a gutsy but not very great performance. I mean, he, we're seeing something kind of cool with Ryan Fitzpatrick, somebody that's always been a nuts-and-guts type of quarterback. And, you know, he's going to be all or nothing, you name it. And, and what we're seeing right now is he's really becoming a gutsy game manager, which it's got me a little bit torn on the future with Fitz, Fitzpatrick at the moment. I don't think he's long-term the answer, but if Miami moves themselves out of position to get the quarterback that they want in the next draft, eh, I'd be okay with Fitzpatrick leading the offense if he's willing to be that gutsy game manager in the future. That would be an interesting discussion as we go along because, you know, I, if the Dolphins find themselves in a spot where, like, like what happened in 2011, where they start 0 and 7 and then finish the year 6 and 10, and they're picking eighth, well, if all the court, if say Tua and Joe Burrow go one two, I don't want to have to take a quarterback just to say we did, and I think that that's. If the Dolphins keep winning a few of these games, I think that's a discussion that may start to take place as we go along here. So, yeah, either way, I want Fitzpatrick back on the roster last year because if you cut him, then you're going to spend the five and a half million that you saved trying to go out and find probably another Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because, I, and I'm I'm totally fine as well with Josh Rosen seasoning on the bench for a couple more years where the pressure is off him a little bit more as we continue to build an offensive line around who may ever play quarterback. So, yeah, I'm going to go with a C, Paul. I think I may have missed your grade there. Uh, I'm going with a C as well, and I actually want to bring something up real quick because you brought up Josh Rosen. It said a lot to me and spoke very big volumes, the fact that he came in that game, and even on third down with the game on the line, they didn't trust him to throw the ball once. Not yeah. once. No play yeah. action, no nothing. I don't know at this point if Rosen really has a future in Miami um, with this coaching staff. It, uh, it was that very, spoke it was very so telling. loudly to me. Um, so it's one, one other question before we move on from quarterback. I know we're talking about this game, but just out of curiosity, I know I put a question to the board out on Twitter. What would your thoughts be if Miami truly did double down on the quarterback spot? Say they're in position to grab Tua or Burrow, but essentially go like the Redskins did a few years back when they drafted RG3 and when the Redskins doubled down with Kirk Cousins in the mid-rounds. 
What would your thoughts be if Miami were to double down with, say, a Burrow or Tua and a Jordan Love? Yeah, it really depends where they're going. Where they're going. I, I'm always in favor of taking a quarterback as a value pick in the middle rounds. I'm looking more at those three or four fifth-rounders that they have. And, uh, you know, your, your boy Gardner Minshew went in the sixth round this past year. So it, it really depends who's there. I, I don't think I would go, for like, first round, second round, or probably not even first round, third round. But when you start getting into the fourth, fifth round, that's when I become a little bit more open-minded about that. Like you said, they took Redskins took RG3 first um, and in 2012, and then in the fourth round they take Kirk Cousins. A lot of other examples of that, too. I mean, I remember the Packers one year took quarterback named Brian Brom in the second, and then took Matt Flynn in the seventh round, and Flynn turned out to be the – better quarterback Redskins did the same thing with Keith Shuler years ago and then took Gus Frat in the seventh round so I'm always in favor of that when the situation presents itself but if you're talking a second or third round pick where I think Jordan Love is going to go then I I probably would opt for a skill position player but it'd be tempting yeah no I'm right with you on that I mean definitely would have to be a fourth fifth or sixth rounder I just I will remind you the last two times I've said I expected Miami to double down on a position a couple years ago. It was defensive tackle in the late rounds. Miami took Davin Gotchow and Vincent Taylor. Also, Mike Kosicki, Durham Smythe, Miami did that as well. So I'm bringing up the double down again. I might be three for three on this one. All right. We'll, we'll keep, uh, keep an eye on that as, as we me. get into the draft. So, uh, running back, Paul, I'm going to go. I'll bite the bullet and take this one uh, this week here. Uh, Kalen Balaj, I mean, what is there to say? I mean, he did improve from two yards of carry in the air to be brought that up to 2.1 yards of carry this year. So, but he did not a lot of run for, room for him to run. He did put his head down and, and get some downhill runs on two or three carries. But overall, it's very what you see, what you get. He also had four catches for two yards. So a lot of touches, not a lot of production here. Um, Patrick Laird at running back out on the field, cut a couple of short passes. Miles Gaskin got on the field for one, and darn it, he should have had a touchdown on that. If Fitzpatrick sees him a little sooner and the ball doesn't get tipped, then that, he probably leads him right into the end zone. So, But overall, running back spot, go with a D. Yeah, I'm going to go with a D as well, and, and no fault to Laird or Gaskin. I think they made the most that they could out of, out of their opportunities. I mean, if Fitzpatrick even just floated it and let him, he was open enough that he literally would have been in the end zone. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I know we already did our quarterback grades, but I was disturbed at how many times Ryan Fitzpatrick seemed to hit a defender right in the hands. That was a little bit scary to me. But, again, we, we look at the running back position. Kalen Balage is what he is. He, he's, you know, looks like Brandon Jacobs, runs like Brenda Jacobs. And it's unfortunate. It's, you know, he's got the body to run people over, and he just doesn't. He just runs into him and falls down. And he's going to continue to do that, whether he gets two yards per carry, 2.1 yards per carry, big deal. He's not the answer at this point unless he develops, and I'd like to see him develop behind somebody, not at the forefront. Hey, he's the 49ers version of Brandon Jacobs. So the one with the Giants could actually legitimately run people over. Bellage has shown no ability to do that. You can use any comparison that you want. North to South doesn't get a lot done when he gets ahead of the guy. 
receiver and tight end poll, I'm going to throw it back your way. I liked what I saw. I mean, Gasicki had a, had a rough moment early, but recovered well, I thought. Devontae Parker continues to have a standout season, especially given the play that they've got between the offensive line, the quarterback, and lack of running game. Uh, I like seeing Jakeem get involved. I wish he'd gotten a little more involved here. I don't think he was really given the opportunities. Uh, I'm still not a big Alan Hearns fan. It's you know I'll, I'll give these guys a B because they, they made the most of the opportunities they got. But in reality, they could have done much better if Miami was willing to open it up a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to give him a, I'm going to give him a B minus on here. And what drags it down probably from a B plus or, or a B to a B minus is Mike Gesicki's fumble on the Dolphins' first drive. Uh, you know, catches a pass, goes eight yards off the field, puts it on the turf, and on the interception from Fitzpatrick was a terrible throw. Could Gesicki have done a little bit more on that? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But um, yeah, he's a little bit of a disappointing game from Gesicki. He did catch three passes for 28 yards. Um, a wide receiver, Devontae Parker, a very workmanlike five catches for 69 yards. All these, all these catches were big here. And one thing that I saw in, in the game that, not, that I'm sure nobody else saw who wasn't there is when there was three minutes left or four minutes left and the Dolphins had the opportunity to really put the game away and they ran the ball three times in a row. Devontae Parker was matched one-on-one with Rocky Sin at the top at the top of the screen and really wanted the Dolphins to take the shot there because they, they thought he had it. And during commercial break, Devontae Parker was irate that the Dolphins didn't take that shot. And you don't, you don't think of it that much out of Devontae Parker, but it's another sign that, that Brian Flores and this coaching staff has reached him a little bit more. I think he's got about 425 yards on the year. What a coup it would be with this quarterback situation in this type of year to get to 1,000 yards for Devontae Parker. You have him on a free agent deal next year, about 5 or $6 million. Uh Yeah, you know, Preston Williams not being here, really hurt too. I mean, you couldn't get those king-sized receivers on the outside, but uh, Alan Hearns and Jakeem Grant did a pretty good job in this game. Hearns had two catches for 30-plus yards. Uh, Jakeem Grant had a nice fourth-down catch where he caught it and, and, and scampered for 10. That made a big difference in the game. So uh, with Gusecki's fumble, I'm going to give him a B-. minus. Offensive line uh, might have been the best game of the year for several people. Uh, Jesse Davis... Dan Kilgore in his return, and Michael Dieter played a pretty good game except for a few blocks. But we're looking for anything's better than anything right now for Dieter. Um, at left tackle, Jamarcus Webb continues to be a train wreck. I mean, I, I was reading PFF stats here because we're doing the show on on a uh, not on a Sunday night. Uh, he had 41 pass block attempts. In those 41, he allowed one sack, two quarterback hits, five hurries, eight pressure, and had a penalty. And you take a look at that interception, you're, you're going to see Jamarcus Webb gets destroyed at left tackle. I can see a scenario where if the Dolphins can really hit on right tackle, and that's why we bring up Jack Conklin, um, you force those resources to the center and right guard positions. But Jamarcus Webb really is a nightmare at this point. Um, not a lot of holes. I mean, Kalen Balage only averaged, again, two yards of carry. A lot of pressure, but overall as a unit, they do a good job with the play-action balance to at least keep those defenders on their heels and not just rushing downhill the whole time. So 
But overall, still not a great effort. I'm going to go with a D plus. I'm going to go with a C minus for a lot of the reasons you said. And the sad thing at this point is, as far as Jamarcus Webb goes, that's a pretty good game out of him. Uh, I think at this point, um, which is sad. Uh, I will say I was very encouraged to see Daniel Kilgore come back and have a good game. I think we were long overdue for that. He's been okay-ish before the injury. Good seeing him get back out there and play well, especially when Bame had a little bit of struggles last week. Jesse Davis still continues to be up and down at right tackle. I would love, as you said, to get Jack Conklin in here, get him on a a three- or four-year deal, and then really what you're able to do in the draft as well gets, gets kind of fun at that point. But Again, it's they, they've got to miss Laramie Tunsil and Juwan James. I mean, I know Miami wasn't a spectacular team last year, but that was a hell of a set of bookends to build around. And like I said, and, and we've talked about, if you had just kept Tunsil and Juwan James and did the rest of the offseason, I would have been perfectly fine with that. Because right now with the Texans pick, that's looking like it's going to be in the mid-20s. And that Juwan James pick, probably going to be a late fourth rounder. So to me, still not worth it. On the defensive side of the ball, this was certainly their day. The Colts did not score a point until halfway through the third quarter. By halftime, Brian Hoyer had two interceptions and six passes completed. Um, Running backs, you know, Marlon Mack has had a hell of a year, and he did okay in this game, but this is the second week in a row that the Dolphins' defense has held a very good running back. Last week with Le'Veon Bell, this week with Marlon Mack, to under four yards of carry. So, Kudos to them on that. Paul, I'm going to throw it to you here first on the Dolphins' front seven and what you saw. I really liked what I saw out of Vince Beagle and Rake McMillan when they got in there. Surprised as hell at Charles Harris actually showing even more signs of life after we mentioned it a week or two ago and then again last week, I think. Um, And then really the one I was most impressed with, even though I love what John Jenkins did, uh, what Christian Wilkins did, was Davin Gotchow. He was one-on-one with Quentin Nelson and did not get owned. Quentin Nelson's the best guard in football right now, hands down. And Davin Gotchow did not get owned the majority of the game, which was utterly impressive to me. He continues to ascend and do better and better uh, in his role each and every week. And, God, watching him sit there and, and not get handled by Quentin Nelson was was utterly impressive to me. I'll give him yeah. a B. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna give him a gonna give him a B plus on this. You know, gotcha, I'm glad you brought him up. Christian Wilkins was stout. You know, I don't think he was as impressive as Gotcha. And John Jenkins, I mean, there was a just an what not one of his better games, but there was an unbelievable play. I think it was about halfway through the third quarter, where he from the hash mark to the sideline, track down Marlon Mack. I mean, who is a very fast running back. I couldn't believe what I was seeing on there. And Davin Gotchaw, John Jenkins, Raekwon McDonald, these are guys that when you have this money and you want to set a culture of rewarding your own players, these are the types of guys that you take care of because more players are going to even work harder to try to achieve those contracts. Yeah. In addition to the front seven, yet what's interesting to me now is I'm seeing Charles Harris starting to squeeze the edge a little bit, not just trying to do that wide nine bullshit that he was taught by by uh, Burke for the last two years. 
He's actually using his power to his advantage, and that's the type of player he is. And it's the one I saw at Mizzou all the time, too. So not getting excited about Charles Harris at all, but the last two games to me have been the best games of his career. Um, linebacker, yeah, he's exactly right on Raekwon McMillan. I thought Sam Aguavion, who has struggled this year, I thought he played his best game, um, had a couple tackles for loss. That play with Jerome Baker, they found something on that. You know, the one we saw with Josh Allen a couple of oh, weeks yeah. ago, and the one we saw this, where he blitzes right up the middle, and if he can get there, he can get from that point A to point B really fast, and he forced a fumble on Brian Hoyer. But the other thing it does, too, is that even if he doesn't blitz, he's fast enough to get back into the passing lane to cut off some routes, and that's that versatility that Brian Flores and Patrick Graham are looking for here in the pass defense. So it's exciting to see, even against uh, a, a team like the Colts without their leading receiver and without their starting quarterback and Jacoby Brissett, I, I, just seeing it from up above, I didn't see a lot of things that they possibly even gave the Colts to work with. So I, I'm going to go with a B-plus here on that unit. The only reason they don't get an A is because I don't think their pass rush was great. Only had one sack. Vince Beagle uh, still gets into the backfield several times, maybe not as often as the last two games, but now you look at him in the last three weeks, according to PFF, seven hits and eight hurries on 62 pass rush attempts. So consistently getting into the backfield. Um, Paul, I'll throw it back to you here for the defensive backs, who I, I'll tell you right now, Wait I'm going to a high grade to I, I didn't. I didn't get the linebackers yet, so I haven't gotten the chance to talk about Jerome Baker and the phenomenal game we saw out of him. I thought he was very good in the passing game. Uh, like you said, with, with Sam McGuavin, Sam McGuavin definitely had his best game. I mean, it was still okay, but at least it was it was there. Um, Jerome Baker, like the crazy thing to me on on that play you're talking about, was you could see he thought Hoyer had gotten the pass off already and pulled up a little bit. So. It would have been utterly amazing if if he had realized that he got there in time and either absolutely leveled him or realized that he fumbled it when when he did hit him thinking he got the pass off. I mean, that easily, if Jerome Baker could scoop it, could have been a scoop and score with him if he could have just beat the one player. So, I mean, it's absolutely an A-minus for me for the linebacker position. But now I'll jump, jump to the DBs like you were talking about. What a game from them. I mean, they allowed some underneath stuff to Ebron and Doyle, which we all knew was going to happen in this game. We knew those were going to be the two primary targets, and they led the team in receiving. But overall, I mean, three interceptions. That Stephen Parker interception was just one of the most amazing ones I've seen. Uh, The Nick Needham one, the way that he utterly just destroyed that route and jumped it. Uh, You know, you just look at what, the secondary was able to do in this game and really with a no-name secondary for the most part. Eric Rowe continues to to develop at safety and Bobby McCain, he's getting better and better each week at that deep safety role no matter what anybody wants to say about it. So that is the unit on this team that absolutely gets an A for me. I am going to go with an A as well and I think it's it might be the first A that it, that either one of us have given this year in week 10. I could be mistaken. I know it's the first one I've given all year, but yeah, at defensive back, uh, I mean, Brian Hoyer finishes the game 18 for 39, 204 yards, a touchdown and three picks. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to be like, well, it's Brian Hoyer. What do you expect? Well, got news for you. Uh, Brian Hoyer was a mixed, missed extra point 
last week from going into uh, going into Pittsburgh, playing nearly the whole game on the road and winning twenty-seven to twenty-six by throwing over three hundred yards. So he's not terrible. And there was, I can tell you firsthand, there was nothing really to uh, really nowhere for him to go. Even in those two hundred and four yards, a lot of them came in the last drive, and two of those were miracle twenty-plus yard catches. So. Hell of a game from the defense all around. Yeah, Needham was the star. Stephen Parker, that if he doesn't rip that ball away from Eric Ebron in the end, who knows how that game goes? Because up to that point, the Dolphins went. Um, the Dolphins had their first drive of the game fumbled, and the Colts drove the length of the field. If they score on that drive, the stadium's rocking, and 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 this game could turn out to be to be a runaway really quickly because we know the Dolphins aren't great playing from behind. Um, also, too, Eric Rowe at safety plays every snap. As much as I hate him at cornerback, he keeps playing better and better at that safety spot. And that's why I'm thinking when you look at him, you look at Bobby McCain, you look at Stephen Parker, this is a coaching staff that seems like they can develop those former cornerbacks into being – safeties that know how to get to the ball uh, they get better and better every week i mean it's amazing watching some of these guys here ken crawley who the dolphins picked up i love this signing because i thought he was a little out of place with the saints um in more of a zone heavy scheme he played bump and run played 40 snaps on the outside and i don't know if he had a pass catch or caught off him um so hell of a effort there Overall, by the defensive backs, I'm excited to see what happens when Xavier Howard returns. And in the offseason, yeah, like you've said, Paul, maybe they add a Byron Jones with all the money they have. We can expect him to at least add some defensive backs. But now when they do add those defensive backs, like Xavier Howard returning or a Byron Jones, you feel confident you got the depth there. And, and this game was certainly a great step forward here toward that. So we'll see how they handle Buffalo next week. Um, overall, on special teams, Paul, you know, we've talked a lot of times about one week. It seems like there's a unit that lets them down all the time. And, and they let up a, a 20-something yard return to Chester Rogers a little bit later in the game that, that could have really hurt him because the Colts started off at midfield at that point. But good to see Jason Sanders bounce back. Hits three field goals, 48-yard or a 48-yard or a 47-yarder. Matt Hawk uh, had a solid day, nothing crazy, but it, it's good to see some consistency forming out of him. And they had Marcus Shales back there in punt return, and I, I liked seeing him back there. He's he's somebody who's been in the league for a while with the Vikings, and just seeing him back there returning punts, uh, you know, he's, he, he does what's needed. He catches the ball, he rarely fumbles, knock on wood, and he, he takes what's given to him. That's what I like, and that's something that I don't think Jakeem Grant was doing enough of. So special teams, I'm going to go with an A minus. I'm going to go with an A minus as well. And again, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, but I mean, it truly does bring me an appreciation for Jason Sanders, despite a little bit of struggle at times this year. When I watched the 49ers game and watched their kicker, whether he was signed off the street or not, kick the ball into the damn tunnel. I, when I watch Adam Venetieri, who's missed five field goals, and six extra points, including one in this game this year, already halfway through the season. When I wa when I look around the league and just see the alarming rate of missed extra points and field goals this year, it does give me a little bit more appreciation for Jason Sanders. Uh, it's you know I, I I'm not in love with Cheryl's returning the punts, but at the same time I'm okay with it. 
I'll, I'll go with the A-minus as well here. And I'll throw it back to you. Who's your player of the game, and who's the player you're putting on the Coke bus for the bad player of the game? Yes, you gave it to me, so I get to steal this guy first. So I hope you got a second. Nick Needham. I mean, guy that's cut in the preseason, doesn't make the practice squad, gets signed to the practice squad, gets elevated, works his tail off, and comes out here, plays, I believe, every snap in this game, pulls away his first interception, does not look overmatched in the slightest in this game, leading that no-name secondary out there. Absolutely, Nick Needham, player of the game for me. Uh, as far as my Coke bus player of the game, I got to go to Marcus Webb. He just got eaten alive. I don't care if it's Justin Houston and a few others on the other side of the ball. You still got to at least hold your own. And he just continues to fail. And when his best effort is that bad, he's absolutely marching his way right into the Coke bus. Yeah, I'm going to go with yeah, – Needham would have been my, my top guy, but yeah, I've, I've got a few other ones in mind here. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Devontae Parker at wide receiver because yeah, I think it's a big drop-off from one guy to the next, but I, I can't get over that. Even though five catches for 69 yards, so many of them were big. And, and you look at when the Dolphins were barely hanging on to a 13-12 to 12 lead with about six minutes left in this game, Devontae Parker caught – two very clutch passes. I think there were 21 and 17 yards. And he's showing discipline in his route running too, believe it or not, where he's able to sit inside that zone and run it just deep enough so that Fitzpatrick can fit the ball in there. Uh, and I, I, again, just being at the game, I like the frustration I saw at the end of the game when he wanted to take control of the game and put it away at the end. Uh, overall, it turned out to be a good decision, but I, I'm, I, I like seeing the discipline and the tenacity out of him. As far as my uh, Coke plus player of the game, yeah, you, you picked the two I would have taken. I, I also would have gone with Jamarcus Webb. So I'm going to go with Mike Gesicki very simply because that the beginning of that game, he really had the opportunity to, to put the dolphins in a hole and it didn't really very much make up for it throughout the rest of the game by getting open. So yeah, it's it's hard to pick the second one, but I, I'm going to go with Kasiki in this one. And that will do it for our breakdown of the Miami Dolphins-Indianapolis Colts matchup. Dolphins win 16-12 to at Lucas Oil Field. You can follow Paul and I on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Brian Cat NFL on Twitter. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. That's fanatic with a P-H. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and